The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 367 from Monday, December 5th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions. You send in your tips, we provide some answers and some tips of our own, and together we all try to learn a little something new each time around. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, back from a week away, I'm Dave Hamilton. Oh, welcome back. Thanks, John. <laughs> there Bit of is. a change. Bit yeah. of a change, eh? From uh, from the cruise to... Uh, For, yeah, from the Caribbean uh, to, uh, to what we got here foggy in New Hampshire. Now. Yeah. Yeah, we got that too. And here in Fairfield, foggy, Fairfield, Connecticut... John F. Braun, and then back up to you. Who's that guy sitting next to Dave? <laughs> Security let me in. It's Pilot Pete. Welcome back, Pete. Thanks for having me I back, know. guys. It's like a little reunion there. here. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. You know what, John? Let's, uh, we've been out of the groove for a week and a half here, a week and whatever. So Maybe you were. I, I was in the groove. I, I think you were out of it. I was totally You deserve it. Yeah. Yeah, we had a good time. You we were off the time. grid, right? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see you. No, you didn't. No, I... I, I um, no grid. Good. That's yeah, the way I, you do it, man. Totally off the grid for a week and a day. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. That was good. Had a uh, had a nice time. We uh, one of the biggest surprises was how much we enjoyed. We did a Royal Caribbean cruise and I really enjoyed Haiti. Believe it or not, they have a private beach in in Labadee, Haiti, and you know Haiti kind of they've had a lot of problems, and so I wasn't sure what to think about Haiti, but I loved it, and uh, and I hope that they, they can figure out ways to attract more tourism there because it's a beautiful place, and tourist money is the fastest way for that country to rebuild itself. So well, they had a I believe a major uh, earthquake right oh yeah yeah and they've had you know political unrest for for decades it's been a real you know real problem they've had a lot of ups and downs both uh natural and and man-made we'll we'll, we'll okay. leave it at that All right. so i hope you yeah. helped them out yeah well we did but you know we can only do so much so uh all right let's let's go here let's uh let's talk about robert in fact robert writes I recently bought an app called Don't Let the Pigeon Use This App for My Kids. The app is okay, but my kids love the Mo Williams book, so I had to get it. There's nothing special about the app except one thing. There's a section in the app where the kids learn how to draw the pigeon. Again, cute, right? Well, there are four to five stages to drawing the pigeon, and the app saves a snapshot of each stage as the kids are drawing. The issue is it saves each stage into with a photo on the iPhone and my iPad. Now I can go into each device and kill the photos, but... Last time I was on my Apple TV, I had hundreds of pigeon drawings in my photo stream. How can I delete images not only of off my phone, but from all the devices that are accessing the photo stream? So in short, he wants to be able to delete select images from his iCloud photo stream. John? Yes, Dave. Do you have the answer? <laughs> Well, you know, this is interesting because I just started. So while you were away, I, I figured it, it's a good time to, to, to learn some new things. Okay. So, yeah. Although I did migrate to iCloud, as we discussed, I really hadn't uh, exercised a lot of the, uh, the features, but I decided to while you were away. Okay. So one thing I decided to do was to activate PhotoStream syncing on both my iPhone. And then, of course, you know, it doesn't do much good if you just do it on one device. But I also enabled it on Aperture. Okay. And I put it in read-only mode. So, so you, 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 so for the Apple programs, as far as I can tell, whether it be iPhoto or, or Aperture, you can enable read-only mode where it's going to pull images from the stream, or you could also sync things from your, uh, whether it be Aperture or iPhoto, to PhotoStream. Uh, from your say, Mac. Uh, well, Aperture on your Mac, sure. Right, yes. Yeah, right, I, right. I chose not to do that. So I just chose to, re uh, on my Mac, I chose to read from the stream, but I enabled okay. PhotoStream syncing on my iPhone, which syncs to uh, the uh, the photo world. Okay. And you know, I got to say, I'm not, I'm not entirely thrilled um, with the implementation, but it is what it is. The, the bad news here, and that this I think has been stated by a lot of people, but I'll state it as well, is I'm, I'm not thrilled with the level of granularity that you get with PhotoStream in that there is none. Right. It's all, well, all of the last 30 days worth of photos or nothing. 
And then your Mac actually keeps everything uh, right. It, it 100% of your photos stay on your Mac. Uh, your iDevices in PhotoStream will keep um, 30 days worth. As far as I can tell. So what I saw is, so I activated on my iPhone. You know, I would take pictures. They put it in the camera roll and then it would sync it to the PhotoStream. And then in Aperture, which I set up as read only, it would set up uh, individual projects within Aperture. And actually, I have two of them defined right now, which I guess it does automatically. One is uh, November. So I have November 2011. Right. And it shows all the pictures I took in November. And now it's, of course, now we're in December. Uh, it started doing those as well. The problem is even if you delete them, which I did, so there were some photos that I had on my iPhone that I wasn't too thrilled with. Even if you delete them on the iDevice, it does not delete them from the photo stream. The photo stream is, you know, as soon as the device gets a chance to sync to photo stream, it, it tosses it up there and it's part of photo stream. The only way that I found, and we will of course link to in the lovingly handcrafted show notes here is that Apple does have an article that tells you how you can get around this, but like other things with photo stream, it's kind of all or nothing in that you can go to your iCloud account and if you click on advanced, uh, as far as I can tell, there's only one option and it's reset photo stream. And so that so, wipes everything out in the photo stream. As far as I can tell, it will not. Um, right, right. It won't wipe out what's on your Mac or your iDevice already, but it will wipe out the photo stream. I don't believe so. And I think the model is uh, on the apps on the Mac, at least, is that so you see them. And I think here here is the intent. So. It doesn't work the way that I like it to work, or I think Robert would like it to work. But it, what happens is once they're in the stream, then you can pull them out of the stream selectively and put them into uh, a project. But but the photo stream is kind of like a stream of consciousness. It's it's everything from all devices that you have configured to submit things to the stream. Now, now again, as I mentioned, in Aperture, I set it to just read from it and not write to it, because otherwise I think it would be unmanageable. So... Uh, so that's the answer right now. You, you can go to the web interface in iCloud and you can choose to reset the stream. But uh, I, I don't think I'm the only one that hopes that at some point Apple will I introduce a level of granularity where you can edit the photo stream. But as far as I can tell, there is no way to do it at this point. Again, no, I think you're right. Clear it. Yeah, you can clear it, but that's it. Yeah. Well, that's not good. That's uh, they need to fix that. So we, we, we will all... Uh, shake our fists in anger at them. <laughs> uh, but, but again, I can, I can understand, you know, it's a, it's a first attempt. It, right. it does work. I mean, it does totally. work. I mean, all the photos uh, are up there. Yeah. And it's really um, cool to take pictures with my iPhone and have them in iPhoto or on my iPad automatically, especially, I mean, I wasn't doing it last week cause I wasn't online, but you know, if you're traveling somewhere and you're just taking pictures, it's nice at the end of the day to sit down with the iPad and Oh, look, there they are. That's, that's pretty cool. So, so my only request, so, so if we have any friends at Apple that are listening, which I think we have one or two, uh, my request would be as follow. Number one, and, and a lot of people have asked for this as well, I would certainly like to see this, and I don't know why they don't have it, is so you can sync to the photo stream with Aperture or iPhoto or even the Apple TV from what I understand. I think he mentioned that. Right. So one, it'd be so nice to have a browser interface. And as far as I can tell, that does uh, yeah. not exist at this point. You know, and you figure, well, why not? Yeah, it easily could. Right. I mean, yeah, whatever pro protocol the devices are using to sync to it, I would think that a browser could do that as well. And and I think what everybody's looking for is, can I edit the stream and pull things out that, that I don't want up there? Yeah, so, just selectively delete. That's all we're looking for. Yeah. I'm sure we'll see it as a, as a I hope we see it as a refinement. So, yeah. All right. We've got two questions about, uh, well, sort of about email. We'll go, we'll do Irv first and then, and then we'll hear from Joe. Irv writes. A friend has an iPhone, iPad, and MacBook Pro. She utilizes Apple Mail to access her single email account on Comcast.net. The problem is that when email is deleted from any of these machines slash devices, it is not deleted on the server nor on any of the other machines. This results in the same email having to be deleted from all three places, and when she logs into her Comcast.net account, she still finds the email on the server. What can be done to make Apple Mail delete each message on the Comcast.net server? Okay. Uh, the, and, and then he goes on to ask, should she just get an I, join iCloud and get a Mac.com or Me.com account? And she certainly could, but 
Uh, here's the thing. Comcast is actually pretty good because they're one of the few ISPs that offers IMAP access to your email accounts. Most just offer pop. However, it sounds like your friend is accessing her Comcast.net email using pop P O P protocol. And without going into all the nitty gritty pop simply connects to the server and pulls the stuff down. And then you manage your own local store on each device. And the behavior is exactly as you describe, which is why I'm assuming she's connecting via pop uh, in that when you delete or file locally, nothing happens with the server. IMAP, on the other hand, uses the server as home base and simply syncs everything up to it. So when you pull down your inbox, it's pulling down a copy of your inbox from the server. And when you delete or move or even open a message on your uh, and, and any, any device, it syncs that particular change up to the server. So even if you left it in your inbox, it would show as having been read on all of your other devices once they synced up to the server. So uh, so what you want to do and and I'm going to say this and then we're going to talk about how you need to do this because it's a very careful process. Uh, what you want to do is just simply get rid of the pop account and move to the IMAP account uh, or, or set the account back up as IMAP. And you want to do this in all three places. However, it's important to note, especially on your Mac, when you remove a pop account, any mail in the inbox sent drafts and trash folders gets deleted from your Mac. Remember, I'll say it again. Your inbox will be deleted when you remove a pop account as long as, as well as your sent uh, trash and drafts folders. That can be a big deal. That would be a big deal to me. So what I would recommend doing is add the IMAP account first to your Mac. You will now have duplicates of many things. Uh, and then you can go through, especially in your inbox. Uh, in fact, that'll be the only place that you have duplicates sent drafts and trash probably won't have any duplicates because that's not how it works. Once you've added the IMAP account, now go into your inbox, your sent, your drafts and your trash on the pop account and copy messages from there over to the uh, the folders that are connected to your IMAP uh, attached account. Once you've done that and you're happy that everything's there, then go into mail preferences accounts and remove the pop account from your Mac. It will delete everything that's in those mailboxes, but it will leave the IMAP boxes alone. And assuming you've moved things over, you should be all right. Uh, and, and then once you've done that on your Mac, you probably don't need to go through uh, those painstaking steps elsewhere. You can just remove the account from your uh, iDevices and then add a new IMAP account and you'll get everything exactly the same as it does on your Mac because that's how IMAP works and you'll be much happier going forward. And it sounded uh, like she has leave message on the server set somehow in her pop though because she in, said she's going pop. back to the Comcast. That's right. So and which is the default for Apple Mail, it will right. leave stuff on the server. Right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's true. You can set up a pop account, as Pete points out, to not leave messages on the server, which means when you uh, pull the message down, say to your Mac, it removes it from the server, so future devices that check won't even get that. But that gets convoluted too. There's no reason to mess with Pop anymore. Just go, yeah. go IMAP, and and her life will be oh, much so easier. much nicer. Yeah, yeah. Really? It's it's what you would expect it to be, uh, and certainly what she expects it to be. So okay, because that is how I'm set up. So I'm still using Pop with my primary ISP, but I specifically set up Apple Mail to not immediately delete because to me right. that's. Because I want to get the messages on both my Mac and my iDevice. But really, so you should drawing. just give up, give up on your Pop account and go to an IMAP account. Especially and if you use it. like Google Apps or something like that. Let yeah. that manage it for you. Yeah, that's true. If your it's ISP, sweet. if like John, if your ISP doesn't allow you to do Pop, and that's what John's problem is. I mean IMAP. Uh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I know there's a reason. Uh, <laughs> for what? To have you guys around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> sure. You bet. Um, you asked me to say, it. um, the, uh, the, um, if you don't have IMAP, just go to a free account, like, like iCloud will give you IMAP and Google, uh, for G with Gmail will give you IMAP and, uh, and life. And you so know me, Dave, I'm way. slowly moving I over. Know. Like, for example, we, we, uh, migrated the, uh, uh, Mac geek app account. So before I would have it where it would forward from whatever the TMO domain was to my uh, my ISP, which is is pop. And that right. really wasn't that that great. It's not that good. 
No, so we migrated it over um, so that anything that's sent to feedback at MacGeekGab.com or premium at MacGeekGab.com now comes into a, I guess, a Google Apps. Uh, is that safe to call it that? Google Apps IMAP account. It's feedback at MacGeekGab.com and premium at MacGeekGab.com. But yes, uh, it, in fact, that's always gone there. For a while, you just had your stuff forwarded to your pop account. Now you've stopped doing that forwarding, but it was always at uh, Google Domain. Uh, Google apps for domains. It's always been there. So yeah. So your, the last uh, step is, is to ditch my, uh, or, or just re- reconfigure my access to my, uh, yeah. my ISP's, uh, account and just get with the program. Yeah. As soon as you get your abacus out of the shop, John, then uh, <laughs> I just got to get right on that. All right. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's go to Joe. <laughs> Be nice to John. Uh, let's go to Joe here. Hey, John and Dave, Joe here in Raleigh, North Carolina called a few times in the past. Uh, have a question. Since upgrading to iOS 5, one of the the uh, more intriguing features of that is to be able to uh, have your email read on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever, and then have it automatically, you know, indicated as read and deleted or whatever, you know, on your Mac uh, back home so that you're not having to continually read multiple messages in multiple places. And I know there were ways to fix that that had been talked about on the show uh, using Gmail and, you know, forwarding everything to a common account. But now with, with iCloud, this, this seemingly has been fixed fairly easily. But I have a question. Both my and my wife have an iPhone 4. I have a 4S, she has a 4. And I have structured and set up my email account to forward everything to the iCloud account, and then I just read my iCloud email. And that works great, just as expected, and everything's wonderful. I also have my wife connected using the same iCloud account, uh, or Apple ID, really. Uh, and that allows us to share photo streams and calendars and notes and all this other kind of stuff. My problem is that doing it that way doesn't afford the opportunity for her to be able to read email on her iPhone and then have it automatically deleted off of her uh, account on my Mac back at the house. I could forward it to the common iCloud account, but then I don't want to see her email and she doesn't want to see mine. And I can't think of any way to do it other than breaking the link so that we each have totally separate iCloud accounts. Okay, so uh, here's the thing. iCloud can do, uh, on your iDevice, it can do mail, contacts, calendars, reminders, bookmarks, notes, photo stream, documents and data, and find my iPhone as well as backup. But you don't have to do all those things. So in your case, Joe, I actually recommend what, uh, what I'm doing. Uh, go on your, on your wife's iPhone, go into settings. Go into mail, contacts, and calendars. Not, note that I said go into mail, contacts, and calendars and not into iCloud, although you could go into iCloud, but, but go into mail, contacts, and calendars. Bear with me. And then go into iCloud from there, and you can turn off mail and anything else you want to turn off without completely disabling your iCloud account, right? And once you've turned off mail there, now she will stop getting mail that comes into that iCloud account. Going forward... You want to create, if, if she doesn't have one already, create an IMAP account somewhere else. I, it can't be with iCloud, though, because your phone actually, you know, it might work to have that. Um, can you add a second iCloud account? Yeah, I think you can. So it might work to have a second iCloud account, but you certainly could go and get her a Gmail address or something like that. Connect that up and wire that up only for mail. And now you've got her mail coming into Gmail, but everything else, including your shared photo stream, your shared calendars, your shared contacts, all syncing with the one iCloud account. The only difference between your phone and hers in terms of how iCloud's configured is on your phone, you'll have mail turned on and on hers, she won't. But everything else can remain exactly the same. And uh, and 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 you should be totally good to go. It's really easy to do. Any uh, any thoughts or questions there, gentlemen? <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, I'm I'm iClouding my uh, my mail. I guess as has been pointed out, the only thing that will not migrate over, which uh, shocks some people, is is 
the 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 pop email, but all your IMAP email uh, right. is controlled from the uh, can be controlled from the the iCloud uh, perf pane. Right. Right. Cool. All right. Our first sponsor for this show is Disc Label. Uh, actually, Disc Label is the product. The sponsor is Smile at SmileSoftware.com. Disc Label is a great thing to use this time of year. Uh, what you can do with Disc Label is you can print labels that stick onto your CDs or DVDs that you make, and also labels for the cases, the jewel cases for CDs and the big, the larger cases for uh, for DVDs. What's cool is. You can take all the pictures from all year or maybe from a vacation you took with grandma and grandpa or something like that. Put them all together, make a nice little iDVD of it so that you've got a whole little package or maybe a photo CD right inside uh, in, in inside iPhoto. However, you want to package this stuff up in, in terms of a digital sense, burn it to your CD or DVD, and then you can use disc label to create the labels and really make this stuff come alive. Uh, you can pull photos from iPhoto and make, and they've got great templates in there. It's so cool. And, and you can pull a photo that maybe highlights the trip or one or two and maybe and put them in different spots on the label and really personalize this stuff. You could have one on the CD uh, or the DVD one on the case, maybe one on the front of the case, one on the back of the case, Really, really great stuff. Works with all of the label packages that come out there and all the printers that uh, that are out there. Check this stuff out. Smilesoftware.com. Again, the software is called Disk Label. Great stuff. In fact, if you were to burn, if you simply want to burn a, uh, a, a, a playlist of songs, you can write a CD cover that has not only the list from iTunes, it just imports it directly in, but it also, you can add artwork and all of that other great stuff. Check it out. Smilesoftware.com. Uh, disc label is what it's called. You can get a free trial, of course, right there. Uh, when you're ready to buy, it's 36 bucks. Actually, it's 35.95. And as always, they've got a 90 day money back guarantee over there at smile. So go check it out. Smilesoftware.com disc label. And, uh, and it's a great way to pull together some really inexpensive stocking stuffers uh, for uh, for, you know, for the whole family. So if you did a vacation or something, maybe you spend a little time and and it's really personalized. Right. You know, you, you it doesn't cost you very much money, but you can put some time into creating a really nice video montage of all your pictures and maybe videos from your vacation and then uh, and then print this label. And, and it's really something, you know, people can hold in their hands and it's got the memories right there visually on the disc as well as inside the disc when they put it into their computer or their TV. So go ahead and check it out. Smilesoftware.com. And with that, let's get a little geeky for a second and uh, and and we'll talk about what Phil asked us this week. And Phil writes, assuming he writes this. Yes, he did write. Phil wrote. uh what is it? It's a weird thing how he wrote this. He said, okay, so I, I was reading a review of my hard drive and it says that it has a jumper that limits the speed to one and a half terabytes a second, or sorry, gigabits per second instead of three gigabits per second. And it's a, a, a Seagate drive, I believe. Uh, is there a way to enable three or how can I see if it already has three? So John, this is this, this geeky stuff falls in your, your very, yes, it does. Hands. Because I actually, while looking at, Looking at this in a bit of detail, have have an upsetting uh, revelation here. So the drive he's asking about is the uh, Seagate Momentus uh, XT, which yep. is one of these and one of the few. I haven't found many out there. Uh, hybrid drives that it's not a well, well, it is a spindle drive, but it has aspects of a SSD and that it has a very large. Uh, I think it's like four gig. I think it's four gigabytes uh, of cache and, and it acts SSD like suffice to say this drive is faster than a rotational drive, but slower than an SSD. The The, the benefit is both cost and uh, capacity is that these drives weigh in, I think, at both 500 and I think they now have a 750. Wow. Uh, which you're not going to see in the SSD world unless you're ready to break the bank. Right, right. But he was Very asking, true. how do I tell? So the one thing is, um, he, he if he dug a little deeper into the review, he would have found that there is buried in there, and I found it a link to how to configure the link speed on the drive itself. So let's back up a bit here. So you have different flavors of SATA. So SATA 1 is 1. 1.5 gigabits per second. Okay. SATA 2, which is 
out there yep. is three gigabits. And then I think SATA three, I believe that's six, right? I believe that's right, John. Yeah. Okay. So the thing is the good news and, and, and I think it was an email sent to a bunch of us. Uh, the thing is the drive without the jumper. So, so they have the SATA connector and then there's this mysterious jumper. And unless you find the specific article on Seagate, you're not going to know, well, what, what are these four pins for? The good news is that if there's no jumper on the pins, then it is, uh, set up in SATA 2 or 3 gigabit per second mode. But the question is, how do I know if my computer is talking uh, 3 gigabits or 1.5 gigabit? And here's the good news is that you have a tool at your disposal. And uh, it, it's named a little differently. Under Snow Leopard, it's the system profiler. Under Lion, it's uh, you access it. Um, system profiler, either way, you can get there. Yeah, it's called something a little different. If you go to about this, it's called system information now. You're right, but it still brings up system profiler in the end. Yeah, but it says system information. That's so right. Just say so. So they changed the name of it, but but it shows you the same information. Right. And what you want to do is, if you want to find out the link speed, is that you go to the hardware section, and then there will be a serial dash ATA section, and that is the SATA bus on your computer. And there's going to be two entries that you're going to see. And actually, now that I just looked on my mini, Dave, I'm going to shake my fist or, or be upset. because. Right. So the thing is, I have two machines here, Dave, and, and I'm almost done with my SSD review. But I decided to do something. Um, so my MacBook Pro early 2008 is a SATA uh, 1.5 gigabit SATA machine. So I was testing the drive on that. But, you know, just for yucks, while you were away, Dave, I thought, you know what? I'm going to benchmark it on my Mini as well, because the Mini has a SATA 2 connector. So I figure, well, why the right. heck not? Because, of course, doing it on the MacBook Pro, the limiting factor is the speed of the SATA bus on the MacBook Pro. Um, so I popped in it as well. Now, number one, I found a very nice uh, take-apart uh, tutorial, and I fix it on how to get a drive into and out of the Mini. And it, it's tedious, but it's doable. Um, I'd say it's moderate difficulty, if you have the right screwdrivers and all that, and just be careful. But here's the thing that got me shaking my fist. So there's two entries here. There is a link speed, which should be shown under the SATA interface, and that will show the maximum speed of the interface. Okay. And, gonna, and the reason I'm going to shake my fist or, or just be sad here is that looking on my mini here, it says three gigabits. Right. But then I'm looking here. The other entry that you're going to look at is the actual speed that is negotiated with the drive. And here's what makes me sad, Dave, is I'm looking right now at the drive that I got <laughs> with my mini. And I, I shouldn't have been a cheapskate. Well, no, I think I'm going to upgrade the drive here. But here's what makes me sad. It says negotiated link speed 1.5. So that's exactly so relating that to the question that could happen if your drive was like Phil's and had a little jumper on it that was going to slow the drive down to one and a half. So in, in your case, if you had Phil's drive, you might be in a position where removing that jumper would be a good idea. But I would I would be very kind of in a general sense to take Phil's question and abstract it out for for everyone's benefit here. Uh, I would say if you're you know, these drives are built not just for Mac users, not just for Windows users. They're built for anyone that has a SATA interface. But of course, as you pointed out, John, that SATA interface may operate at various different speeds. And the jumper is there in order to slow the drive down to perhaps match a slower speed. Now, in. If it were to connect to a slower speed bus, in theory, the drive should slow down anyway, but maybe there's some benefit on this particular drive to having it slow itself down to match that, that the speed of that bus. So in your case, you know, I would say you could try and remove that jumper and see if it'll jump up and work at three gigabits. Well, however, well, you know, in this case, okay. But, yeah. However, I wouldn't mess with that jumper without having a full backup of, of anything that's on that drive, assuming the data is important to you, Phil, because you, you have no idea what's going to happen, uh, you know, from the drive manufacturer when you pull that jumper. In theory, uh, you would do it with the power off and the drive non powered uh, and it should be fine. But I wouldn't assume that everything's going to be fine until you test it. Right. And actually, the uh, the article that I found from Seagate indicated as much. They said, you know what? It should work at three, especially if you're on a machine that claims to have a SATA 2 interface. But some SATA interfaces don't negotiate properly, in which case that that's when you want to dumb it down. Got it. Got it. Now, in my case, I think that what I'm seeing here, I think in my case, because I got the, the, the very least expensive drive possible with the Mini, 
I'm suspecting that this drive would just say Toshiba MK3255 GSXF. I think that may be a SATA 1 drive, and that's why it negotiated 1.5. Or there could be a jumper on the drive. I'll have to check. But it could just yeah. be an inexpensive drive. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, let's see. Going. We'll stay geeky for a minute. We'll go to Garrett here. Garrett writes, I've been searching for the longest time for a service that provides cloud storage that can be accessed by FTP or web dev. I'm familiar with services like BoxNet and Dropbox, which I love, but they don't offer FTP access. Sure, these services are considered to be FTP replacements, but I need FTP to access my files from school where the web interfaces of services like the ones I mentioned are blocked. Do you have any suggestions? Okay, so we have two suggestions for you. Uh, FTP is an older protocol. Uh, it's been around for a long time and it was, uh, it, it's heyday was back when things didn't need to be as secure as they are now. So, uh, FTP has sort of gone, um, it become less preferable. It's still usable. In fact, we still use it for some things internally here, but, but it's not secure. Um, there is a protocol called that's called secure FTP, but it's actually radically different and not really at all related to FTP as we know it. Um, so because of that, uh, I think, and because it's, it's older and not used much and also prone to various security issues, not to mention weird, uh, firewall things that kind of had to be configured. Although that's, that's what I was going to mention is that the FTP protocol, the, the, the ports to establish a connection are known. But negotiating the data port to actually do the transfer, as you pointed out, gives a lot of firewalls. Uh, it requires you to do all sorts of hand waves, uh, in some cases, to either your computer setup or its firewall or your main firewall. And it's just it's a nasty, nasty protocol to transfer files. So well, I, I would shy away from it. Passive well, FTP I, solves that, though, John. I mean, it really did. Right. Right. No, good you point. Know. Good point. Yeah. In um, and actually, that's up in in system preferences. I think if you if you go to uh, the the sharing, I I, hey, I know John. it's buried in there somewhere. Yes. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, so, Dave. Okay, good. So, um, uh, uh, where were we here? So yeah, yeah. So these services don't support FTP for a variety of reasons, and there's there, there there's good there's good reason for that. However. Uh, there are ways around this. Number one would be to use Dropbox, which of course is free with something like uh, drop dev, which is available at dropdav.com. We've talked about this. It is an intermediary service. So you need to be comfortable with an intermediary here, but they will provide web dev access to your Dropbox. Uh, and so that's one way to go. And, and when we, since we first talked about it, we've actually talked with the folks at, at drop dev and, and the way they're doing things is very interesting. They're sort of mounting your Dropbox and moving this stuff around and it's an instant sync uh, and they aren't storing any of your data. So it's uh, it's something it's something worth checking out. The other way would be to find an FTP server that you can connect to your Dropbox. And one of them is on your Mac. Now, up until Lion, you had the ability to go into system preferences and turn on in sharing FTP, but that's gone. Uh, it went away and I'm not sure why we want to, um, why they did that. But again, it's probably, you know, simply from what we were saying before, it's an older protocol, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it's still there. That's, the I don't think secret. they did. No, it's still there. Do you see FTP in sharing in yes, line? I do. Oh, really? Well, I see it under file sharing options in Snow Leopard. In Snow Leopard. But I believe in Lion, it's gone. Check that, though. Do you have a Lion machine right there? Yes, I do. I'm I'm looking at a Lion machine. It's gone. It's gone, right? File sharing options does not have FTP, correct? Just AFP and SMB. You're right. So they got rid of it, but it is in Snow Leopard. They got rid of it. Yeah, so it's there in Snow Leopard. They got rid of it from the GUI in... uh, and lion, but the server is still there and we can point you to a link, uh, point you in a, 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 (laughs) we will put a link in the show notes to an article that explains how to do this, how to turn it on and off with one simple command from the command line. Um, and that, that will work for you. Uh, the other thing you could use and, and would actually be even better is to use pure FTPD manager. 
uh, which is available for free. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes too, because it's far more configurable. And what you would do here is you would set up your Mac as an FTP server and then point that at your Dropbox. So any changes you make via FTP are automatically then synced back out via Dropbox's client and you're good to go. So that, that would be, that would be the magic answer for, for doing it that way. Now I think BoxNet offers web dev, right? Am I, uh, am I am uh, reportedly? Yeah. And I think you pointed this out to someone. Yeah. It's box.net box.net slash and a special URL. Yep. We'll link you to a web dev version. Yep. I'm pretty sure box.net supports web dev. So if web dev is what you need, you might be able to do that direct with box.net, but, uh, but pure FTPD manager, uh, even though there's an FTP server still built into OS 10, you're probably going to have an easier time uh, configuring it. Uh, if you want to do it with a GUI, uh, pure FTPD manager will, will do that in a much easier sense for you. And it's free. So there's, you know, almost no reason not to go with it. You know, I still think it's in Lion, but it's very well hidden as it probably should be. Because the, the reason I say that, Dave, is because so I'd go to system preferences and type in FTP in the in the search field in the upper right hand corner. Yeah. And what happens? Well, gosh, a network lights up as somewhere where this is. But, but it doesn't really directly link to it. But I did find if you click on advanced proxies mm. there's some ftp mojo in there and there's also that's for out, gonna, that's for outbound yeah but it shows dot local as a exception so i'm wondering if they're just making it really hard to get to but the other thing i want to mention is that there is a checkbox here saying use passive ftp mode which i was going to say before you you that's only if you're connecting me. to an ftp server from the finder Yes, but I thought right. I'd mention it because you mentioned passive FTP mode, but you right. didn't tell people how to get to it. So I thought it's, I would. it's on by default in just about everything and has been for like the past 10 years. Right. Maybe. maybe but I'm with more. you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so they it makes sense that they got rid of it because, yeah, it is not the best. It's not choice. Another possibility if, if the firewall doesn't block it, because certainly uh, does at my company would be to use a VPN and then use the web interface anyway. Right. Will that not work? You could VPN, but you're not sending files across the VPN. Well, yeah, I mean, you could. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah it's that's kind right. of a workaround and certainly you're going to be slower if you're using your own home router or something right. like that. But uh, right. I'm just thinking there's any other possibility. of. A yeah, that's true. Yeah. You could VPN into your home router if you've got a router that supports that. And then and then file share to your Mac that's connected to Dropbox and let that stuff happen. Yeah. Be similar to the FTP connection. Yeah. 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 Oh, this is wonderful. Mm. What's that, John? I, I just found an article here, and then we'll move on. No, I, I just did a quick search here, and there was actually a specific article called Lion Server Enabling the FTP Service. So they're they're making it very difficult. And I know we're not running Lion Server, but right. yeah, it, it just actually, reinforces think, that they're making it difficult. And maybe you could do this on, on regular Lion as well. Well, I think, I think Lion Server does have a GUI for enabling FTP. Uh, it's just that GUI just doesn't exist anymore in Lion Client is all that it is. Yeah, that's yeah. what I found. I just sent you a link here. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. We'll okay. share that. We'll yeah. share that link with all of our people. Oh, sure. And as right. usual, John sent me a link for uh, Apple support. It, this is actually important for all of you, for anybody going through the show notes. Hey, don't blame me. No, no, it's not your fault. <laughs> but for anybody going through the, fault. for anybody going through the show notes, well, uh, we have found a, a, a regularly repeatable problem. If you click on a link to bring you to a specific Apple support article, it will fail in a 404 most of the time, the first time you try to go there. But if you simply just reload that page, it'll come up and, and show you the article. And and that's exactly what happened to me here with, uh, with this. And actually, yeah, actually, you know, um, some of these commands that are, that that are going to be pointed out in this Lion server enabling the FTP service article uh, will work, but but some of them won't because there are groups and things that you can't edit uh, on Lion client. Um, so, but anyway, we will point you to the other article that that sort of ex explains it directly. All right, now on to Chris. Hey guys, great podcast. Um, quick question for you. Sorry if this has been covered ad nauseum. But um, I have not been able to find any information via Google on a, a good way to do this. But I go from OS 10 to Windows a lot via boot camp. 
and I'm really sick of going to, it, it's quick, but not fast enough for me. You know, you go Apple Rolls, System Preferences, Startup Disk, Win7, Restart. Is there a faster way to, like, put a, um, put a, put a menu icon where I can just click it and go from OS ten to Windows via Boot Camp? Because they have that in Windows. You can just right-click and then go to Reboot in OS ten. But there doesn't seem to be a really fast way to do that in, in OS ten. So if you guys have any uh, any advice or any sort of script I could run or a program, that would be great. Uh, again, this is Chris. Um, thanks for a great podcast, and uh, hope to hear from you. Thanks. Yeah, you bet, Chris. So, uh, yeah, Buttered Cat Software to the rescue at buttered-cat.com. <laughs> Quick Boot is the name of the utility, and sure enough, it puts a little menu lit icon up there that allows you to just pick what you want and immediately reboot right from there. I think that will do it for you. And uh, and there's the answer. It's free. So, yeah, it's not from Apple, and yeah, Apple should do something better for us because this is crazy. But uh, but otherwise, this uh, this is the way to do it. So, yeah, buttered cat, nice buttered cat. Yeah, I, uh, flying meat software, buttered cat software. There's Ron, some great names. I, mean, I know <laughs> that's part of why we do this show, is so we can. Dude, talk the about icon it. is the best. It shows a very upset looking cat with a <laughs> pad of butter on its head. Yes, dripping down even. Yes, melting butter, which means the cat's, cats like thinking. Do cats good. like butter? Cats do like butter. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. I wouldn't know. All right. Uh, let's talk to Marcus here. Marcus, what do you got? Hey, Dave and John. It's uh, Marcus Swift calling from northern Alberta, Canada. I just uh, was listening to your show, um, and you mentioned uh, Lingo and Launched D. I've got a problem with, um, I think it's probably a, a late 09 uh, MacBook, where the Launch D is uh, running away and uh, it is overheating my CPU um, <clears throat> and just causing a whole lot of problems and, of course, eats up my battery life. And so I can go in and, and if I force quit it, um, it, it, of course, forces the whole thing to, to reboot. Um and that seems to solve the problem for a little bit, and then it comes back. And I, I can't seem to find any pattern in terms of what triggers this. Uh, and um, and it's really annoying. So I was hoping you guys could might be able to suggest some way that I could repair this um, or where I could do some further troubleshooting. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks. Well, Marcus, you know, further troubleshooting is our specialty here. So uh, I went into Activity Monitor on my Mac and I uh, I did two things. Number one, I uh, there's a drop down sort of to the right of center at the top of Activity Monitor. And I made sure that said all processes. So I'd see everything that was happening. And then in the little search box to the right of that, I typed launch D. An interesting thing happened. I saw three items all called launch D. One was owned by root. One was owned by Dave, which was my user account, and one was owned by underscore spotlight. If you are in activity monitor and not seeing the user that owns a process, uh, you can make sure you can turn that on by going to the view menu, go to columns and make sure user is checked. Uh, it's important to know who's owned this process because it, you can dig down a little bit. Um, if it's not owned by root, it's actually really easy to dig down. You double click on the process and then click it. You'll see three tabs up the rightmost of which will be open files and ports. We've talked about this before. What you do is you click on that and that is a live look at the files that launch D or whatever process you're looking at are, uh, are, are manipulating or at least has open at that point in time. Scrolling down to the bottom of this, you might start to see some things that changing and that might give you some indication. And even if they're not changing, just kind of looking at what it's what it's poking at, uh, this might give you some indication. Now, it's weird. Launch D should not uh, on its own um, be using a lot of CPU time. It's its job is really to kind of trigger other things to go. But it's possible that something's not quite right. Um you know, as I said on mine, I've got three and the third was owned by underscore spotlight. 
that one is uh, is presumably uh, related to Spotlight. And if that's the one that's spinning out of control, then perhaps that makes our troubleshooting a little easier and it narrows things down. I would uh, if that were the one giving me trouble, I'd use something like Onyx to go and rebuild my Spotlight database. Uh, that will then cause the processor to spike for a while. But uh, but perhaps something got corrupted and uh, and and now you're in, in that spot. So. So those are my thoughts on that, John. Do you have any other uh, any other thoughts on on troubleshooting launch D like this? Yes. Go. Uh, oh, let's see here. I, I was fiddling around with it as you were talking here. So one, the thing I notice is that on my Snow Leopard machine, I only see two launch D's. Okay. One is root and one is my user account. And as you did, um, I saw three and I also see an underscore spotlight on my uh, my Lion machine. Okay. But, um, you know, there is an article here and I'm, I'm just looking through it. When I did a quick search here, how to rebuild the launch services database. And I believe oh. that's something you can do. You can do that with Onyx as well. I'm pretty sure in Onyx. Definitely. So you may have a launch services database that's corrupt and uh, 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 maybe that's the reason. Other than that, well, I that agree would with make, you. Is that, that would make sense. Yeah. You know, I just pulled it out of my hat because uh, yeah. I was assuming you'd lead on this, but I'm like, you know what? Let me do a search on this. And I'm like, rebuild launch the database. And that's the first thing that came up. So, oh, you know what? I bet, I bet that's, if it's not the, the spotlight thing, then I would, I would almost be certain that, that, well, that would certainly be the next thing I would try is to rebuild that. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Every now and then. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're glad you're here. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Man. But as you point out, LaunchD in and of itself is inconsequential. It's just uh, something that launches other stuff. Right. So, so it's the other stuff or this database that's, that's causing the grief. I'm, I'm positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, it, yeah that, the, the corrupted database of one sort or the other is the only thing I can think of that would keep LaunchD itself spinning out of control. Because otherwise it just fires things off and then just sort of goes back to, you know, dormant mode. So. All right. I want to talk about our second sponsor here. This is something we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, not as a sponsorship, but uh, sort of mentioned it. And that is RunRev uh, at RunRev.com, Runtime Revolution. Uh, they have uh, they are the company that makes live code, which I talked about after I got back from Mac Tech. Uh, and they have uh, and it started, I believe it starts today, uh, December 5th. The uh, they have a game academy. And the cool part about this is in the course of seven weeks, you will go from knowing potentially nothing about programming whatsoever. This is for people of all ages and skill levels uh, to creating a game for I for your iPhone or for the Mac. Uh, it is free. Uh, there is a link that we will put in the show notes to, to shine up to, to shine up to, the show notes to, to sign up and, uh, and there's a webinar each week. You can watch it live or you can watch it time shifted. So you haven't missed anything, even if you're hearing about this a weekend, unless all the slots are filled, in which case you have missed out. Uh, but uh, but you can go sign up. You watch the webinar and then they provide some code samples. Uh, and there's a, a forum area where you can discuss this and get support and all of that stuff. And it really is. I, I think I mentioned it that, you know, my son and I uh, we have signed up for the Game Academy. And we're going to do that together. But uh, but we created our first iOS app and ran it on the iPhone in, in a matter of an hour. I mean, it was it's really simple to do this stuff with uh, with live code. And of course, you know, going through the game academy, you can then, uh, you know, once you're done, you're going to have a ton of skills that you could then take. And uh, and you're going to understand more concepts. And it's I mean, it's, you're taking a class so that you can then take that knowledge and, and do other things with it, which, of course, is the point. Uh Again, it's available at runrev.com slash academy slash MGG. And that uh, that gives us credit for sending you there. And we certainly appreciate that. Um, go ahead and check it out. They've got videos, including a video of the game that you're going to make. So you can go check that out, too. And, uh, you know, if you got some downtime over the holidays or whatever, that's a perfect opportunity to uh, to do this. So as I said, though, place is limited. So you got to go to uh, to runrev.com slash academy slash mgg and we will have that link in the show notes of course for you and uh, and michael johnston will also have already put it right here in the aac so you've probably already clicked on it thank you michael 
And, uh, and there you go. So uh, thank you, RunRev, RunRev.com slash Academy slash MGG for this, uh, for this game Academy. And, uh, and I'm going to be doing it too. So, so I'm curious to see how we all, uh, how we all fare in this uh, and check it out. Uh, all right, John, we've, we've had some various, uh, let's look at that. I'm Pete, sorry. Pete reached over to hit his car and he hit mine. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> are you are you leaving us, Pete? Yeah, I have to take a quick phone. Okay. Pete's leaving. He's making all kinds of trouble while he's leaving there, too. Uh, all right. We've done uh, we've done a lot of questions. We don't have a ton of time left, but I don't want to sh- cut us short. We have a couple of tips that uh, that we wanted to get in here. The first is we've talked about uh, smart sleep before and other things from, from Jinx software. But uh, – after we mentioned smart sleep on the last show, uh, which I think was 366, uh, we got an email from Patrick Stein, who is the uh, the person who wrote smart sleep and who still writes it. And I wanted to read uh, his email here because it offers some clarifications. And uh, and then he's actually got some general troubleshooting tips about sleeping, too. And I know that that's something that plagues all of us. So Patrick writes, I listen to the podcast and I have to make some additions. You're correct with your assumption that the old smart sleep pre 3.x was using the normal PM set command. And once you removed smart sleep without setting it to default, it stayed in the same state that you set it last, which is exactly what we described for the user that was having problems. And it turns out that's what it was for him. Uh, however, starting with version three, smart sleep uses uh, something that was introduced in snow leopard called the PM set force option to only set things temporarily. So the sleep state will be reset every time you reboot and only while smart sleep is installed and running. If you quit it and do not keep it running in the background, it will also be reset to the default. Uh, there's a default write option that you can use to enable smart sleep, an advanced option, uh, so that it does does keep it persistent whether or not smart sleep is running, and that's documented in the help for those smart sleep users that want to do that. However, as stated in the App Store and on their website, website smart sleep is currently experiencing a bug and lions commands. Uh, and then they've made a workaround, but that workaround has been a, a, a rejected by the app store review team since it requires admin privileges. And you can download the current version from jinx.eu and use that. Uh, if you've already purchased it from the app store, run the app store version once and then go download the version from their website and it'll get the licensing and all of that in there. He then goes on and he says, as I do get a lot of mail about sleep problems, even when using smart sleep, I've compiled a short answer for all of those with sleep problems. Many problems arise from common problems unrelated to smart sleep itself, but the generic sleep system of the Mac OS 10 smart sleep does not change Mac OS 10 sleep wake mechanisms itself. It just tells the system which ones to use. The sleep and wake is completely handled by the system itself. When you have problems, first of all, do a, uh, PRAM or SMC reset. And of course there's a knowledge base article for that. Also many Bluetooth and USB devices do interfere with the Mac system sleep, disable and disconnect those devices first and try to replicate the problem. Many printer drivers will also keep the system from correctly sleeping when they have prints, uh, in their, when they have stuff in their print queues, see, uh, remove that and see if it fixes your sleep issues. Uh, and I'm uh, one more thing. He says, you can look at what sleep problems the system detects in the sleep log, open up system profiler and choose the software logs, power management logs to see what your system detects. So thanks Patrick. That's uh that's super helpful sleep stuff. And we certainly appreciate the help and we appreciate you writing smart sleep because that's something I know many of us use. So good stuff. Anything to add there, John, before we move on to, uh, to our, Two comments about spam emails and how to manage them. No, he, he's, he's got it. Mm-hmm. Lo- love it. Love smart sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Okay, cool. Uh, also in 366, we talked about spam and deleting spam without triggering the loading of remote images and letting the spam uh, person know that you are, in fact, alive and looking at their email. Uh, Lucas and many others wrote, so I'm, I'm just pulling out a couple of emails here. Uh, Lucas wrote, as for Sean's question on how to print, multi- uh, sorry, uh, George's question on how to delete junk mail without triggering a tracker image, go into mail preferences, viewing and uncheck display remote images in HTML messages. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that will prevent that from happening. 
And you are right. That would do it. There is another way. And again, many of you pointed this out as well. Uh, Derek wrote uh, regarding deleting junk mail without opening any of the emails. Adam Christensen of the Matcast had a tip about this a while back. Find the little divider between the message list and the message viewer. Of course, this has to be in classic mode in your email, uh, which you can do by going to the view menu. Uh, uh, sorry, view in your preferences. And then there's a uh, typically a small round out. If you click on that, you can drag and resize this window. However, if you double click that bar, it hides the pane completely. When this occurs, when you click on a message in the list, it does not actually open the message. And you can now select all and delete. See, but you've got to be in uh, classic mode, which I'm, it's still in the mail preferences view section. You just say use classic mode and you can do it that way. Honestly, in Lion, that's how I go through spam anyway. I go into classic mode because it makes it much easier for me to sort by subject and see all the mail on one line. And when you're going through, if I have more than, say, about 500 spam messages, sorting by subject is a really helpful way to do it because so much spam has repeated subjects and it makes it really easy to scroll through this stuff uh, when sorting by subject. So, so this is the the perfect way you just sort by subject, you click that little dot, you remove the, uh, the preview pane, and then you can go through and, uh, and, and delete them when you're done. Of course, if you're using Gmail, the, the best way to delete the spam when you're done combing through them on your Mac is to go to the web interface and say, delete all spam now. So and I believe Lucas had one other point that we would not want to miss. Lucas says, uh, as far as printing multiple email messages, which Sean asked about, if you want to save some paper, select all the messages and then choose file and save as you can save it as a rich text document that will make a single file containing every selected email message in the order that you had your mailbox sorted and without page breaks. So if you want to put it all together, that's the way to do it. And then, of course, you can print that rich text file or archive it somewhere or do whatever you please with it. So thank you for that, Lucas. That's uh and many, of course, Lucas was not the only one. Uh, many of you sent that in as well. This was uh, this was great stuff. Um, let's see. That covers printing multiple emails. That covers all of that. Uh, John, tips. You had you had, you had an interesting. Uh, you came across an interesting tip this week. Yes. So so I'm diving right into this uh, iCloud thing. Right. And as I mentioned in the past, one thing that made me nervous was. When you upgrade to iOS 5, if you try to enable iCloud backup of mm-hmm. your device, you'll get a warning saying, well, hey, 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 if you select this, then I'm not going to be backing up locally anymore. And I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> Why can't you do both? Right. And I got to thank uh, on Twitter. Uh, I actually worked through this or I think uh, we, we were working together on this. Uh, Connor PJ one. And we worked together and we found this out. Just cool. because you choose um, iCloud device backup, and now don't confuse that with syncing. This is device backup. Um, if you choose the device backup to iCloud, it does not prevent you from backing up to your computer. Here's the tip. You have to manually do it. And how do you do that? Well, when the device shows up, whether it be connected via Wi-Fi or via USB, right-click on the device, and it'll say backup. Uh, and it's kind of misleading, but if you say backup, it will backup locally because after I did this and we both confirmed it, so so I'd say this is this is the way it works. You will see, uh, I believe, if you go to iTunes preferences and device, you will see. Sure enough, that particular device has been backed up locally, so you can. Now, it'd be nice if Apple would let you do both, but they don't without having to do it manually. Right, but you can do it manually, so that makes me very happy because now I can have the backup in more than one place, which yeah, seems that's always a good thing. That's cake and eat it too, right there, man. That's good, huh? Very cool, nice find, man. I had no idea that that would work that way. Yeah, iCloud is. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm getting used to it. Yeah, I'm still not 100 percent thrilled, but um, good. I'm sure Apple's going to take this as another suggestion, and the, you know, along with the uh, the photo stream thing, they're they're going to refine the uh, the way you back up uh, iDevices to, right. to the cloud and, right. and give you more options. Good stuff. There's a lot of noise happening. This is this is a show full of uh, all kinds of crazy things. 
Pete's muting me. Who knows know. what's going to happen next. I, I was sick of hearing you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't blame Time you. Time for you to stop talking. <laughs> I took a week off. Sorry about that, man. That's all right. Uh, all right, let's... Um, I don't do that in the cockpit, by the way. Just reach up and start pushing buttons and I don't know what they do. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's what I do in the cockpit, though. <laughs> there you that's, go. Yeah, that's right. That's why... That's right. You don't take the broom out of your hand. Wait a minute. Right, yeah. um, okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh, let's go to Leon, and then we'll uh, and then we'll wrap this thing up here. Leon has some fantastic stuff here listed in and uh, cool stuff found. So we'll we'll go with it. Leon, take it away. Hi, John, Dave, and Pilot Pete. This is Leon, aka Gadgetcoma, from Bethesda, Maryland. I have two cool stuffs found. Uh, is it cool stuff founds? Anyway, I have two two things to share. Wait, it's with you it's and your a, it's cool stuffs in law. Oh no, wait, that's different. That's the other thing. Today, in show number three sixty four, you talked about rebuilding multiple Apple Mail mailboxes at once by selecting them and executing the rebuild command. I found an app called Speedmail by eighteen o two that does this for all mailboxes at once. It came in handy when I had problems with mail crashing after the Lion upgrade. You can find this software at 1802, that's the numbers 1802.it. The second tip is for all the keyboard jockeys out there. You guys are often sharing tips about various keyboard shortcuts, and I'm one of those guys that can't stand to watch other people mouse around for everything. I mean, come on, type in your login name, then hit the darn tab key already. You're wasting precious seconds moving the mouse to the password field. Uh, Anyway... Check out KeyQ by Ergonus Software. It runs quietly in the background until you need to remember a keyboard shortcut. Then you hold the command key down for a a few seconds, and KeyQ pops up a window showing all of the relevant shortcuts available for the app you're working in. It will also show system-wide shortcuts as well as those defined for the services menu. This app can be found at Ergonus, that's E-R-G-O-N-I-S dot com. Lastly, while I really love the show and I learn a lot from you and your listeners every week, I have to say there is one thing that you keep getting wrong. You must consider yourselves caught, and I'm here to set the record straight, so listen up. It's feedback at macgeekgab.com. Thanks again, guys, and happy holidays. No, 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 that's feedback at macgeekgab.com. That poor dead horse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Leon. So uh, I couldn't tell if there was a price for speed mail. I could find it at 1802.it, but it was, the, the site's in Italian. It wasn't entirely clear. Um, but uh, KeyQ from Ergonus is available as a uh, trial download. And if you're ready to buy, it's uh, 19.99 euros, which at the moment is 26.78 US dollars. Uh, so thank you, Leon. And, uh, and that does bring us into our contact information. We've talked about email addresses that you can use to send us text images, audio and video. If you like, uh, audio, you can send directly from your iPhone to that, those addresses and, uh, and it, and they work great. Uh, but there is other ways, John, to contact us here. And, uh, and I bet between the two of us, we're going to be able to figure out what most if not all of those are. You still with me, John, or did I mute you too? I'm with you. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm sure what happened with all the buttons we've been pressing over here today. <laughs> so, John, if uh, if email is not their speed and they'd rather pick up the phone, what is the number to call? 206-666-4335. Which is geek for those of you playing along with letters. Ooh. You're paying, I just want to see if you're paying attention. Hey, man. I'm throw you a bit. I am on the ball today. I am all especially, charged up. Especially being back in work mode from yeah. vacation mode. Yeah, and we just got back yesterday. It's, uh, you know, I, I usually, when I come back, I usually like to have a day. Um, you know, I'd love to fly back Saturday and then chill out on Sunday and then work. And, of course, as the guys pointed out at work today, you know, I could have taken today today off. But I told them, no, I can't. I've got Mac Geek Gab to do. And they said, yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, but then, you know, that's what we do. MacGeekGab.com is where you can go to see all the lovingly handcrafted show notes as done by our own esteemed Mr. John F. Braun. You are esteemed, aren't you? I am, and, and you may ask yourself if, if you wanted to, you know, see what I'm up to. Or any of us are up to. How would well, you find out what the esteemed Mr. John F. Braun is up to? Well, I would say that Twitter is one way, and um, we're going to go around the horn here. As far as Twitter, I am John F. Braun. 
He is Dave Hamilton. He is Pilot Pete. Mac Gab is news about the podcast. Mac Observer is the feed from the Mac Observer. Duh. That's right. Who else? Oh, well, and Michael Johnston, of course. That's right. Mr. I shall convert this to AAC painstakingly and reliably. We'd like to thank Michael for all of that. You can also visit us. Hey, he, Michael's the host of the We Have Communicators podcast, an excellent show, and I highly recommend you listen to it. You can find us also on Facebook at facebook.com slash MacGeekCab. And all of this, the bandwidth is provided by Cashfly to get, uh, to get all of this from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barrelbones Software, Disc Label from Smile, Gazelle.com for all your electronics that you want to get rid of, and of course, Renrev.com slash Academy slash MGG. Come and join us in making an iOS game. That's it. I got to look at my calendar. I think we're back on Thursday for the first premium show of the month, but I might be wrong about that. Uh, but either way, have a great week and uh, and don't get caught. 